Welcome to Life in Private Staffing with me, Philippa Smith, MD of Silver Swan Recruitment. As we all know, the private sector is a pretty crazy one. Not only can it be very challenging to work in, but it can be pretty lonely too, as let's face it, no one really understands what it is that we do. So let's come together, help, support, educate and inspire one another, and hopefully we'll have a laugh along the way. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode. God, these two weeks go quick, don't they? Um, Welcome back. Hope you've all had a nice couple of weeks since uh, our last episode. Looking forward to today. Today, we've got a brilliant guest on, Rosie. We've not had a yachty for a while. So we did have someone that uh, worked on yachts, uh, I think back at the start of season one. Um, So it's been a long time since we spoke to somebody um, from the yachting industry. And Rosie um, spent a long time working on board yachts, working her way up to Chief Stew, which for those that don't know, is ultimately a house manager position, but for a boat. And then she transitioned um, a couple of years ago off the boats and into her first private household position where she sort of moved up to house manager and PA. So really keen to talk to her about firstly her, uh, how she found getting onto yachts, because that's um, difficult for a lot of people, uh, what her yachting journey looked like, and then how she found the transition onto land, which is also, well, can also be very tricky. But um yeah, lots to talk to Rosie about. Before we get started, though, I want to mention our um, lovely sponsor, Kelly Dixon at Estate Management Systems. If you don't know about this by now, then I don't know where you've been living. Um, but we, she, she's from Estate Management Systems. She uh, used to be a hat and an estate manager. She was so frustrated with not having one product to organize her life, so she created one. Uh, she's created a bespoke project management tool where she can basically do everything from one, one place. Um, managing staffing, managing contractors, managing finances, and it's mobile friendly. It can be used by anybody. And yeah, and those that go through Life in Private Staffing and contact her get a discount. You just need to use the code Life in Private Staffing 25 for a 25% discount. So fabulous sponsor, fabulous product. Go check it out, Estate Management Systems. Um, right then, on with the show. Hello, Rosie. How are you? Hi, really well, thank you. And you? Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting to be here. There we are. So, so thanks for coming down. So, tell everybody sort of where, so where are you based at the moment? Where are you working at the minute? So, at the moment, I'm based in Oxfordshire. Um, I work in a lovely house uh, on the grounds of Blenheim Palace and live just down the road. Very nice. Very posh, isn't it? Very fancy. Very fancy indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I feel very grand driving through the yes yeah, honey I'm home <laughs> um Blenheim Palace I should have done some research is that Henry VIII it's the Duke of Marlborough so I think it was originally being built for one of the queens a very long time ago and then there oh, was okay. the Battle of Blenheim won mm. by the first Duke of Marlborough um and as a thank you the queen gifted the palace to him and it stayed in his family line um and if I'm wrong sorry <laughs> No, that has been. I think that's the right story. That sounds way better than mine, but for some reason, I was like, I swear Henry VIII hung out there, but obviously <laughs> not. There we it's go. It's had a very Come. interesting history. Like Winston Churchill was born there, so he's got big oh, ties. Oh, right. Sorry. Scrap Henry VIII. So, Winston yeah. Churchill. That must be the link <laughs> that I'm thinking of. That's um, it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, though. It's so amazing. And so you're, instead of, so you obviously don't run Blenheim Palace. Is there a property on the grounds that you're responsible for instead? Yeah. So there's eight properties on the grounds, and I look after one of them. So, oh, very nice. Yeah. That's mad though. So the grounds are obviously massive. So you, I assume you haven't got like tourists walking past your front door. We do. 
Do you? I was saying, really yeah, quite do. close. Yeah, it's really yeah. close. So it's sort of it's set off. Um, I mean, all the houses are just set off the kind of the walking routes and the paths. So yeah, lots of people come every day to walk there, walk their dogs, go for a jog. Um, yeah. yeah, and they sort of run past the front gates and peer in like, what's this? <sighs> <laughs> We've had a few people actually try and walk through the gates. And we have to be like, no, no, this isn't part of your like attraction. So... <laughs> They're like, they're like, is this the shop? No, this yeah. is not the shop. <laughs> Keep walking. Off you um, go. That's cool though. And that's quite nice because I, you know, there's some, some homes that are so remote. It's quite nice mm. that there's like a bit of activity, you know, Very in much. and around the property. Definitely. And they do lots of um, really cool events there. Like they had the flower show and food shows and um, little concerts and triathlons. So there's a lot of kind of hype and activity and the Christmas lights are amazing. So that's quite nice to kind of have that on the doorstep and, you kind of feel quite in, like included in that as well, which is nice. And are you busies with the staff from the other homes or yeah, do you keep yourself to yourself? So. Are you? Yeah, it's a nice little community. Um, there's only kind of three properties that have, you know, a sizable enough to have staff. Um, but yeah, no, we kind of all get along and help each other out. And, you know, if we're having events before, like the staff are coming to help me and sort of vice versa um and sharing contacts and contractors and stuff it's nice to have that sort of support network to lean on this is like the most perfect first private household position for you 100% I really fell on my feet and was sort of very lucky (laughs) yeah Um, and is it a full-time residence so it's a it was meant to be a part-time residence um and then during COVID it became a full-time residence and now we're sort of on the back end of that and it's now becoming a part-time residence again so yeah nice a bit yeah, of a, a bit road of coaster. <laughs> yeah, nice. Okay, Fab. And so let's talk a little bit about how you got into the sector then. So you, your background's yachting. In fact, let's go right back. Your background's yachting. Yeah. And and I really want to talk a bit about that because we've only ever had one yachty on before and that was years ago, right at the start of the podcast. And people actually, people find it fascinating because mm-hmm. it's difficult to know much about it if you're not in it. Um, what were you doing before yachting? So I started yachting um, at 19, halfway through my university degree. Um, oh, yeah. So I wanted a job to pay off some of my uh, overdraft in the summer. And I wanted to travel as well. And my sister's friend had been in yachting. So she said, why don't you go out to the south of France for a couple of months in the summer between your you know, years at uni and see what you can, if you can get any day work or any work. And yes, yeah, so I did four months that year. And then I actually phoned my mum and said, hey, mum, I'm not going to finish my university degree. This is where I want to be. And this is what I want to do. And she was like, you don't get on that plane. I'll make you. <laughs> come back finish your degree and then you can go back to yachting um once you finish so yeah I went back to uni and then essentially like finished my dissertation early missed my grad ball missed graduation and got straight back on a boat so yeah I got kind of really pulled into the industry what was your degree out of interest interdisciplinary theatre <laughs> so I love that <laughs> very key to your career yeah yeah, not really. I mean, it, it gave me the confidence to, you know, talk to guests and be kind of approachable. And I mean, apart from that, there's no there's no other relevance. <laughs> well, you know what? You say that, but you probably have taken quite a lot from it, like you say, yeah. in that sense. Just like, because you are very much on stage when you're on a boat and you're serving mm-hmm. and you're in front of people. Do you know what I mean? So, well, yeah. let's say let's say that rather than saying it's a complete waste of time. Sure. Let's say it's <laughs> very valuable time of yeah. your life. Absolutely. Um, and God, there must be so many people who did that call home to be like, I'm not going to finish my degree. And to be fair, mm-hmm. now I've got kids. You're bloody finishing that degree. Do you yeah. know how much money it's cost? <laughs> You're doing it. Um, what were you, so let's talk about even getting onto boats because I we, we are having a lot of sort of like juniors, if you like, um, 
calling us at the moment wanting to sort of get some advice on getting onto boat this summer so difficult what experience mm-hmm. did you have in hospitality prior to uni so I was um like head waitress at my local pub in the village and had done that from the age of 16 I did a couple of months as a receptionist at a doctor's surgery and actually only though I did that for like two and a half months that got a lot of good reception because it shows that I could be trusted I'd signed like a NHS like non-disclosure I could deal with you know ill Mm. people that you know when you're ill you always think you're the most important and can be quite rude so that actually got a lot of interest from captains and chief stews more than working in the pub just because it was something a bit different and showed that I had been kind of trusted in a role especially as I was only like 19 so that was good and just getting down to the south of France you know I shared a one-bedroom flat with like six people in the first couple of weeks looking for day work and then yeah I just got a temp job through meeting people and connections but I I, you know I know it's a bit different now with kind of Brexit and Covid like I don't think you can just go down to the south of France and bunk down in a crew house anymore I think it's changed slightly from what I've heard yeah just send your CV out go dock walking so I sort of pinged up and down the the um south of france coastline and dock walked every day every morning um so that's kind of how i got into it really dock walking is key i like i always say to people like whilst i whilst i'm here to help you from an advisory point of view we're not going to be able to place you in your first position Mm -hmm. because the boat is not going to pay us for somebody new when there's tons of green crew walking the docks um presentation is very important be neat be tidy be clean have a nice cv in the run-up try and get as much relevant experience as you can whether you're housekeeping in a, in, a, in a hotel or service etc and and yeah and it also you just need to yeah show a bit of initiative and and you pretty much get yourself contacts must help as well to get day work yeah definitely and I think the CV is so important my um younger sister's boyfriend is trying to get on his first boat and I've sort of spoken to him a few times about it and then last week he said can you just do my CV like help me with my CV just tell me what I need to do to make it better and he said that he's been applying for all these jobs and I didn't even have to do much, just reformat it, make sure things lined up properly, brightened his photograph. It was, you know, really simple things. He said suddenly he was getting calls and, you know, people wanted to interview him for positions and it was all just making the CV look really neat. And, you know, when I was interviewing for junior positions as a chief stew, I would get hundreds of CVs and you can't read them all and you just have to like it sounds really bad, but flick through them and which are the ones that stand out without reading them because you can't, you know, you don't have time um, to read hundreds of CVs. And then from the ones that you like the look of as a visual, you then go back and then you start to read through them and delve deeper into the person. That is so true. So I, we've not talked about CVs recently for, for a while on here, but I think we get between 1,000 and 2,000 CVs a week to our agency. Mm-hmm. I can literally glance and I'll either pass or not pass. And if it's a stressful CV, if it's stressful, I can't I can't do it. It needs to be really easy on the eye. Don't worry about the content at this stage. Worry about what it looks like. And and it's so it's so important. And then yeah, if it looks like it's going to be a fairly like easy read, if you glance at it, like you say, you've got everything you need. You've got your picture, you've got your information. It's in order. Then yeah, that's definitely definitely the way forward. And then you read it. Um, but yeah, I can I can probably spend as little as half a second on a CV before saying whether I read it or not. And people can say what you want, but if I've got 2000 CVs to read. Well, that's it. You can't do it. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay. So that's good. Got onto a boat. Was yachting everything you thought it would be, or was it a bit of a jumping in the deep end? 
fully jumped in the deep end. I'd never been on a boat before, apart from like the Dover to Calais ferry. So that was a bit of a shock to the system. People always say, did you get seasick? And I say, yes, I was seasick for seven years. Oh God. <laughs> it got oh, easier God. and it was very manageable. Like I wasn't, you know, like completely crippled by it, but you know, there were some days that were not very pleasant and yeah, rough seas, you know, yeah, especially when you go off the beaten track, which is what I ended up doing. And yeah, my first season was absolutely horrendous. I think I cried every day. <laughs> I worked for horrible human beings. Oh. And it was it gave me a really thick skin. But it was really I was really naive and you know, I thought I knew it all and I was very quickly shown that I didn't know it all. My first job was a soul stew job, which I don't recommend anyone should do ever because that Soul is you on your on your own everything your own service as your um. first job. So I'm you know naturally quite a confident chatty person and I sort of feel like I can learn on the go. But yeah, I was sort of messaging friends very early on saying how do I do this? How do I do that? Friends that had you know gotten to boats of cheese stews that they could go to for guidance and I sort of used them and and sort of yacht stewardess tips Facebook page and stuff for advice when needed. But yeah, it was really, really tough. But I loved it enough to come back. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, that, I just think that's mad of the boat owner. Like, if, if I'm having yeah. a soul stew, I'm not going to get a 19-year-old that doesn't know what she's doing. It's bizarre, bizarre recruitment tactic, isn't it? Very bizarre. But, um, you know, I managed and I did a couple yeah. of months on that boat. And then just before the end of my season, the manager of that boat called me up and said, I think they were sort of, we were sort of finished with guest trips and he knew that I was going back to university and there was just, sort of, you know, maybe like three and a half weeks left before I was mm-hmm. done for the season. And he said, I managed this other yacht. It's in Monaco. Uh, all the crew failed a drugs test yesterday. We have a charter starting in 12 hours. We need to recruit a whole crew apart from like two. Do you fancy it? And I was like, what? He said, if you say yes, I'll send the car to Monaco and we'll pick you up in, in 20 minutes. So I spoke to the captain. He said, well, yeah, we're pretty much done with, you know, we're pretty much done with you for the season. Go for it. So I went down to Monaco and I jumped on this boat and it was kind of like the first episode of Below Deck where (laughs) everyone joins this boat. No one knows what's going on. It's a complete and utter mess. So that was a 50 meter motor yacht. And the chief stew sat down with me and the, the three girls that had also been pulled in. And she just goes, right, we've got like, one minute to work this out. I haven't interviewed any of you. Who's done service? And I said, well, mm. I've done service because I've been a sole stew and I worked at a pub once. Um, and she said, great, you're my second stew. So I had had like a couple of months experience. And then suddenly I'm a second stew on a 50 meter motor yacht that's starting a charter in like eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really thrown in the deep end there. But again, that was an amazing opportunity and you can't really just say no. And you just sort of have to jump in with two feet and just go for it and and learn as you go. Even what I've heard so far, I already sort of know the kind of person that you are. Do you know what I mean? It does take a sort of, it does take a sort of person to like ride all this stuff out um, and to, you know, firstly being seasick, but like the first, having a horrendous first season going back because obviously, you know, you must have seen something in it. And then just, um, I bet you're probably thinking like, when I, you probably think at that point, right, when I actually go to a boat that I know and it's all well, I'm going to find it easy. If I can do it, if I can do this. Um, and how did you get on? How did you get on on that boat then? Did, did the crew all get on? Did it, did it work out? It, to be honest, I was on for such a short amount of time because I was going back to university. But yeah, we had a couple of really crazy charters and then I was off. It was a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest. I feel like I learned more in that three weeks being 
you know, back-to-back charters with a really good chief stew on service, um, dealing with, I think we had one Russian charter, Ukrainian charter. So learning about a completely different style of service, a different culture. I think I learned more in that three weeks than I did in the couple of months prior as a sole stew. So that was really like a bit of a confidence boost for me to be like, wow, I can actually do this job. Yeah. Even though I, in a normal situation, no one would ever give me this job, but actually I can do it. So this is great. <laughs> Again, people just need to be given the opportunity, don't they? To, um, yeah. to sort of jump in and sort of pr- prove. A hundred percent. Prove their abilities. Then you went back yeah. to university for, for a rest, probably. Yeah. Couple of, I did sort of seven and a half months back at uni, got my degree and then um, was, you know, applying for jobs straight away. And I got offered a three week temp job on a 40 meter sailing yacht as a, a, I think one of the girls had uh, slipped a disc in her back. So they just needed somebody to come in to cover medical leave. So again, I, I was like, I've never been sailing before. You know, I sat on that sailing boat and the first time they put the sails up, I hadn't even in my brain considered that the boat was going to tip. Like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I sat there horrified. Because <laughs> I didn't know it was going to happen because I hadn't no. thought about it because, you know, I grew up in Kent, not yeah. near the beach. I'd never been on a sailing boat before. And I I was so inexperienced, I just didn't even know that that was, that was going to happen. So does it proper um, rock, a sailing boat? No, it just completely tilts on an angle to one side. So suddenly you're, you're working on an angle. You've got to properly stow everything, which was, you know, the absolute bane of my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was, that was a bit of an experience. So I did three weeks on there and then they offered me a full-time job. So I stayed on that boat for 18 months, actually as a deck stew. Again, I'm not outdoorsy. Anyone that knows me knows that that is ridiculous that I did, did and took that job. But yeah, again, learned a lot very quickly. Learned how to throw heaving lines and scrub deck and, you know, <laughs> do deck hand things, which was a massive learning curve. And, you know, it taught me that I didn't like working on deck and yeah, I'm much more much more designed for the interior but I did 18 months on that boat and then had to take some time off just to recuperate because it was uh dual season charter and private pretty busy Mediterranean Caribbean yeah that's it yeah 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 so I mean I loved absolutely loved going to the Caribbean anyone that gets on a boat and gets to go to the Caribbean it's like an absolute dream even just the cross, even the crossing, I can't get my head around. Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> like it's a really long way and there's nothing there. Really long way. Yeah. I did a Pacific crossing as well, which was like 30 something days. And you go through a black hole of internet coverage. So there's no internet. Wow. And on the same day, for some reason, our like crew entertainment system failed as well. So we had like <sighs> two and a half weeks with no internet, no TV, no nothing. And we had the best time. <laughs> Good. I suppose, it, I suppose it takes you back to basic. Like, I actually, like, dream of, like, a blackout where, like, no one can call me, no one can email me. As long as, as, long as I've got wine, um, I'd, love a, I'd love that. <laughs> no wine on a crossing, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, God. So you've literally just got to talk to each other sober. We did lots of puzzles. Um, yeah, good. You obviously did your watch, um, your watch hours. And, you know, we ate lots of snacks and yeah. played a few games amongst the crew did like a quiz yeah. night and that sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's really nice, quiet, chilled out, bonding time. So. Yeah, nice. Um, and a season in the Caribbean just must be lovely. Yeah, that's that's my favourite, definitely. Mm. It's much quieter than a med season. You know, 
most charter boats only get one Christmas, New Year's, maybe one other charter if they're lucky. So, oh, nice. And a bit of owner's use. But yeah, it's much quieter. Um, yeah, and just really good fun. Yeah, nice. Why? At what point and why did you decide to leave yachting? So my final boat, I became a chief stew. And oh, yeah. I did two years as chief stew on, I went back to a sailing yacht. Um, oh, did you? A, yeah, on a sailing yacht. And we circumnavigated around the world. And that was sort of coming to an end. And I just kind of felt that I'd done everything I wanted to do. I'd been to the Pacific, um, been to Australia and New Zealand, traveled in Asia. And the pull of home was just getting stronger and stronger. I think when I started yachting, I was very much like, I'm never going to live in Kent, never going to live in England. I'm going to be like a magic forever. And then I just got a bit a bit older um, and wanted to settle down. How many years were you away then? Trying to add up. It was about about seven years in total. Oh, seven. Yeah. So yeah. So um, I left in November 2019, and um, yeah, I just sort of decided that enough is enough, and I should, you know, maybe just try it. But everyone always says that no one ever retires from yachting the first time round. So to mentally prepare myself for that and the big change, I said, I'm going to go to England and do a year at home and catch up with friends properly, catch up with family properly. I'd bought a house. I was, I was like, I want to be in my house that I've mm. you know, invested in. So I'd said I'd do one year and then as a trial and see if I liked it and get something different on my CV. So yes, yeah, so I said I'd do a year and it's now been two and a half and I'd never go back on a boat. <laughs> well, I reckon that a lot is that a lot of that is to do with how much you're loving your job. Definitely. And if you and if you weren't loving your job, the draw might be there because the money's on the boats, isn't it? And all the yeah. rest. So I think that um your family is just probably very grateful that you've got a good job. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And I, I'm sort of very my transition has become very easy because of my job and the person I work for and the sort of lifestyle that he's been able to give me. Yeah. And so t- tell us, how did you find it coming off the boat and, f- and looking for work? Did people like recognize your yachting experience as decent experience? I think I was naive and thought it would be much easier than it actually was. I think because, and because of the style of chief stew that I was, I did a lot of administration work, a lot of admin. I, I used to make these sort of 50 page travel itineraries. And I, I was really involved in where the boat went, and what we did and all the coordination and sort of did a lot of PA work for the captain and for the owners. So I really felt that I could I could walk from that straight into a PA job and that it would be fairly straightforward. Um, and actually, it wasn't. And people didn't necessarily recognize yachting as a transferable skill. Some people did. And I did get a couple of interviews. But if you compared it to like when I was looking for a job in yachting, I would have sort of you know, interviews and job offers. And I was very much like picking the job that I wanted. And I kind of felt like that this would be the same, but it definitely wasn't. So I sort of, I was looking for a job while still employed because um, I wanted to have something lined up so I could go from one to the other. And then one, I sort of decided that I couldn't necessarily find anything that I wanted and maybe I'd just move back home and then I could at least go and interview in person. And maybe if I interviewed in person, um, I might be able to sell myself better. So I resigned from the boat. And then at that point, I decided it was sort of morally okay to contact some of the contacts I'd made whilst on that boat. So I reached out to my favorite charter client that had been on the boat several times and just said, hey, thanks for, you know, a great few charters. 
just to let you know, I'm not going to be on your next charter. Um, I'm moving back to the UK. If you know anyone that needs an estate manager or a PA, as I know you've got lots of friends in, in London, uh, please let me know. And he emailed back seven minutes later saying, I need both. When can you start? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's amazing. It, 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 again, all about contacts and all about like... Um, not burning bridges, anyone you come into contact with, impress, work hard for, because you never know where these things might sort of play out again. Like you never know. But yeah, we we find that a silver swan. So like, um, I think I've said this to you before, but um, when I when we first started doing private households, we did chalets and villas and yachts first. When we first started doing private households, I just didn't think we'd compete with our competitors who are specialized in private household recruitment because they would look at us and think we're not specialized and we do every sector so we dilute dilutes our specialism and all the rest but actually we get we get so many clients that call us saying we're so bored of the candidates that other agencies are sending because they're all the same they're all private household box standard butlers housekeepers whatever and actually none of that's really working we want to elevate the rate the, the level of service in our home we want a bit more of an interesting dynamic team um you do different sectors i think it could work really well to have people with different backgrounds in our home obviously five-star experience but we if we put forward if we work with a client now who's looking for a house manager or a, or a butler we'll obviously send them someone with with solid back private house experience but there'll always be a couple of yachties in there someone from private aviation someone from chalets so then they're interviewing a really diverse group of people and often they'll come back and be like i never even knew what a yachty was but actually that is exactly what i've been looking for that's what i've been missing mm-hmm. you've nailed it and now now like as time's gone on we're now getting people call us specifically saying ex yachties would be really good in this role have you got anybody that's done sort of chalets because our last holiday the host was what we wanted so what I thought would be our weakness is actually now massively our strength mm-hmm. and clients are seeking us out for people like you. So, so yeah, so I do think people coming off boats wanting to go into the private sector, partner with an agency that represents yachts as well because they will understand your experience. Definitely. You know, and I think that's sort of where I sort of went maybe wrong slightly because I was more focused on getting a PA role and so I was approaching PA agencies and they were going, well, you've never been a PA before. You've, you don't know yeah. anything about it. And I was going, well, I kind of do. Like there's a lot of transferable skills. If you let me talk about it and you talk about, you know, the kind of work that I did as a chief stew, then, you know, it's working for, you know, similar clientele. And I think I definitely should have gone for yeah an agency with more mix and I maybe would have had more luck, but it all worked out in the end. <laughs> yeah. And also as well, I'd say, I'd say we only probably started doing private households a couple of years ago. So like then there probably wasn't even an agency that really did it all like we do now. So who knows? So talk to us about your current position. You started it as a, a sort of the state manager PA. You went straight in at that, which is yeah. a lovely like position to go in and tell us a bit about the property and the, the size of the team that you had sure. there and have now, et cetera. So when I started, you know, it was very much, it's only a four bedroom house, but it's very kind of historical, um, but it needed a full renovation and it was just me and a part-time gardener. And in the beginning, it was, you know, the boss's part-time residence. So it was very kind of relaxed, but it needed a lot of work doing. So I put a lot of energy into building a team of contractors that I really trusted. And that was sort of my main focus for the first six months because I was new to the area. I didn't have family and friends there that I could fall back on. And, Mm. you know, if the house in Kent, I've got friends that are plumbers and electricians and this, that and the other. But in Oxfordshire, I had none of that. So I really went back to basics and sort of found the right people that I knew I could trust and, and built up that relationship. And then when 
the PA side of the job sort of grew gradually as the boss kind of in and out. And I just sort of learned more about him and how he works and what he wanted me to do from that side of things. So it started off with, you know, basic, you know, events in England and now it's events all around the world. And it started off with sort of basic accounts and now it's accounts in several countries and, you know, calendar management and all sorts really. So that's sort of grown gradually as time has gone on and trust has been built and um, I've learned more about him and how he works and operates. And then we've done lots really. We've done a full renovation of the house and we've also taken on an apartment in Monaco. So I've been working out there a bit and kind of establishing a similar environment out there. We did a season out in Gestad where we rented a chalet and so I went out there for four months, which was lovely. Very nice. Skiing. All of this was during during COVID as well. Wow, like so fortunate. You're so fortunate to, because so many people were affected so severely. They were yeah. let go or, you know, uh, the family res- resided in one property so the rest of the properties weren't needed. But not only not only were you in work, but you like developed so much within your role within those two years. A hundred percent. And actually without COVID, I don't think I'd be where I am now in the job because it really gave me the opportunity to focus on nothing else. You know, in the lockdowns, yeah. I was in a bubble with my boss and it was just the two of us in the house. But we kept, we re-landscaped all of the gardens. We employed loads of local contractors that were happy to work in the garden outdoors mm-hmm. so they could continue to work. And we did a huge amount and it really gave me a chance to get to know my boss better and make plans and come up with, you know, crazy ideas that we could then mm. implement and yeah, to help him, you know, enjoy his life more. Tell you what, talk about a make or break sort of setup. It's a bit like moving in yeah. with a boyfriend and realizing you hate him. <laughs> um, because if, because if you like, you could have, e- that could have easily been way too intense, way too soon for you and your principal. Like, again, so fortunate that from a personality point of view, you could just live together quite easily. That's it. That's it. It was, yeah, it worked out really well. And so you like, do you have a team of staff you have to look after? Yeah. So we're now, there's eight of us in total, um, Mm. which is, yeah, it's nice. It's sort of grown very organically as, you know, we've used the property more and we've worked out sort of our needs and um, where we need to place people. So yeah, it's it's been, it's been great. And again, that's been a bit of trial and error, sort of working out where we need to pull people in and designing quite I don't know roles that aren't just one thing so like our latest hire was um, an estate manager but he does you know bits in the garden when the gardeners need help and then he walks we've got five dogs across the two properties Mm. so helping with the dogs and then he'll drive the boss and you know so and even Mm. our, our chef he does a bit of dog walking here and there you know he'll nip to the post office for me sometimes like it's all about for us it's all about everyone helping everyone where needed Um, and that's very much like what I've always looked for when hiring people yeah nice what would you say is your most challenging aspect of your job like day to day I think the bit that gives me the most stress is actually the bit that I enjoy the most (laughs) 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 Um, and I, I love all the sort of last minute chaos I feel like I live in a in a in a slight air of stress at all times and that's where I sort of function best but I think the most challenging part is probably like the HR side of things and trying to keep like the staff happy and the boss happy at the same time and he I'm fortunate he's really generous and he understands that you know people need time off and people need holiday and you know he's okay if you know suddenly I'm doing the housekeeping because the housekeeper's off or you know I've 
started cooking, which was a disaster when, you know, the chef was off and that sort of thing. So he's very understanding of that, but I still find it difficult to, to juggle and manage, you know, keeping everyone happy. And I, I really hate saying, no, sorry, you can't have that day off. You know, if they're like, mm. it's my kid's birthday or, you know, my wife needs an extra hand at home. And I'm like, sorry, no, <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. And I think that's just a personal thing. Like, and, and in a way that's, you know, a weakness of mine because I need to be a bit firmer because often I'll, I'll take up the slack when I maybe shouldn't all the time um, to help cover that, to allow everyone to be, a, you know, I want people to have flexibility and enjoy working for the boss and for me and in our team. So yeah, probably like an HR Oh, you know, I'm the same. You know, I'm the same. I mean, managing staff is the hardest thing ever because when you're in a home, like if you're managing a property, like things don't move and change their minds, but humans do. You know, and so yeah, and I find that because I'm also if you if you're naturally a people pleaser, which I am, like I stress out if people, someone doesn't like me. You can't be a people pleaser all the time because, like you say, when it comes to not not authorizing holiday or whatever you don't want to be that person but equally your business needs you to be that person at times I'm exactly the same my only advice for anybody in that position is try and have like a a wing person who can be your bad cop yeah. um, and you can be a good cop all the time <laughs> sending the big guns but no it's, it's, it is but again that's people that find HR difficult in that sense um it's only because like you're such a nice person and you want to be you want to be the yes guy all the time but yeah tricky we can't go into too much detail. Well, I can't go into too much specifics with some of the people we've worked before, mm-hmm. but let's talk about some of the um, mad requests you might have had. You must have had some mad ones on the boat. Yeah, quite a few. Oh, it's hard to pin down. Um, oh, we can we can do a few. Okay, so flying in, uh, like essentially a yogurt drink from Russia to Corsica. That was oh, quite God. for a seven-year-old <sighs> that refused to drink anything else. That was pretty pretty insane. Oh. Um, and I don't, I've been in some sort of strange situations. I think those are slightly more interesting than actual requests. Like I ended up in a nightclub with one of my boss's credit cards to pay the bill at the end of the night. And essentially I'd already said that I wasn't going to go to the nightclub, but circumstances led to me having to be there. And when the bill came, it was obviously absolutely astronomical and the card got declined. So then... (laughs) So then I was in the nightclub manager's office with, I luckily had several wads of cash on me for various reasons, as you know, people in my industry often do. Um, and I had a couple of different work cards and different currencies. And it was very much like, it took us about 45 minutes to an hour of try 1,000 on this card. Okay, try 2,000. Okay, try 5,000 on this card. Okay, I've got this much cash. So that was pretty... Oh my god! And by this point, the guest by this point, the guest had left. Gone home, yeah, gone home, gone to bed. So there was no way of contacting them. You know, it was very much like I just have to work out. Oh my god, that's so stressful. (laughs) That was quite stressful. Got it done though. So don't know if I'll be invited back to the nightclub, but we'll see. (laughs) But these these are the kind of things that like people can't. You can't even like predict or plan or prepare for. You need to just be ready for like anything, anything that just could just go wrong. And that was like the last thing I needed. I'd been working since like eight in the morning doing different events and stuff. And by this point, it was like 5 a.m. And I hadn't worn heels in months. So my oh, feet were God. killing me. And I didn't even want to be in the nightclub in the first place. So yeah, that was a, a bit stressful. <laughs> love it, love it. Okay, Fab, so what do we do next? Ask me anything. Have you got anything that you'd like to ask me? Well, you've asked me about strange requests. 
So I want to ask you about like strangest, like the most unusual thing you've ever seen on somebody's CV or the most unusual thing a client's asked you to find in a person. Oh yeah, brilliant. <laughs> well, all the most unusual roles we've recruited for. Mm-hmm. So we've, well, what's this, what's some mad stuff that's happened? When I worked for Consentio, a luxury ski operator, mm-hmm. uh, a mad request, I was a HR manager there. Uh, there was a family in a chalet and it was their daughter's birthday and they wanted us to bring an elephant into resort so she could ride the <laughs> elephant to the ski slope. And we're like, I don't even know if that's legal. <laughs> I don't think you could just transport elephants. Uh, mental. Um, Did you do it? No, <laughs> that, that was that was an impossible. And Cosencio's <laughs> motto is always, yeah, um, yes, we will do anything anything that we can, providing it's legal. Um, they could they couldn't do that one, and then they gave about I don't know. They asked for it the night before or something ridiculous as well. You know, you know, it's like I think it was Paris Hilton turned up in Courchevel with fifteen dogs. Great, you do for, for a ski holiday. <laughs> love that. Um, another another mad. Well, this isn't mad. Might not even see that mad. We had um, a client came out to Courchevel and went to chalet. And and there's only I think it was like probably about five or six bedroom chalet. It was just them and their dog. Mm. And in advance, they wanted one of the bedrooms. They wanted all of the furniture removed from the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Gra- real grass, put lawn, put down, and then a white picket fence around the outside of the room. So it's like his bedroom at home. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> so amazing. it was like million pounds. It was the same family. I'd do that with my dog. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> um, the the same family also brought in a they had a full-time dietitian that traveled with them but it wasn't for them it was to plan the menu for the dog so Wowza. so the chef was then catering and met a full menu for the for the adult for the humans and yeah. then a full menu for the dog that had been prepared for by their traveling full-time diet dog dietitian man that is a lot it's a dog it? man it's a dog <laughs> i like some people's children though I know. And other reason there was some we've had some really mad roles that we just can't talk about. But um we do have a property in that our Dubai branch managers. Mm. Our consultant, Steph over in Dubai, gets the maddest roles that she has to recruit for. And when I see it, I think to myself, why has she taken that role? Like, don't take roles you can't fill. She fills mm-hmm. it. An organic poultry farmer, she recruited, wow. she filled it because there was a palace that had organic poultry and they wanted someone to manage it. So she manages it's a private, it's a private, like someone that works in the private sector, but an in-house thingy. Um, an in-house zookeeper. We've got a palace that has a zoo in it. Um, and so zoo staff. We've recruited hairdressers for men with no hair. Um, Brilliant. We've love it. Salon. <laughs> that must be a really busy job. <laughs> yeah, she just managed, she just looks after it. Where do I apply? She looks, she looks after, she just looks after his toupees. <laughs> like it's really bizarre. And he's only in the he's only in the UK for 90 days of the year. So it's wow, very strange that. that he has a yeah. So um there, there's a few mad ones. And I love it when mad stuff comes in. What's your process in starting to find somebody? Do you have to like go into different sectors of people or go onto Facebook groups or... I, Steph over in Dubai has got resourcing skills I've never seen. I, don't, I say to her, like, she recently filled a fishing manager position. I don't even, I don't even really know what that is or where you would find it with our network. You just, you, there are just, she's just a very good headhunter. And like, like you say, where do you go? Even in the UK, we struggle. Like if we're looking for, oh, we're looking for car mechanics at the moment for a Middle East thing. And it's like, for us, like, where do we find car mechanics from? Yeah. I don't even know where car mechanics look. Yeah. Um, but what you, well, the trick is what I got trained and anyone, any recruiter listening probably does this. Um, first thing you do is you pretend you're a car mechanic looking for a job in the Middle East and you Google as if you're a car mechanic and then you see what your, what job boards come up first. And then that's where me as a 
ad- someone looking for that advertises because if I was a car man, that's where I'd be looking. But yeah, it, that's why I absolutely love this industry because it's so fascinating. And I love getting like random requests by, from random people. I'm not, I don't think I'm phased that much anymore, but every now and then something comes along and I'm like, that's ridiculous, man. <laughs> like ridiculous. You know, you've got like um, a, ch- a, ch- a palace with a child and she's got like seven nannies, seven full-time nannies and three are, three are on call at any one time. And yeah. and she also has a governess and she's like three years old. And yeah, it's just like, it's a lot, isn't it? It's just a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Mad, there we go. Right then, let's sort of move this forward and wrap this up. So we like to finish with our supply shout out section. What supplies have you used that you love? I've got two favourites and I can't pick between them. Do both. I love, and I've loved the support of having like strong women around me in the last like couple of years like I think it's been really like important to me and my growth in in the role um and in the industry and so my first shout out is uh to Blythe Collinson Interiors which is run oh, by yeah. yeah it's a London based uh boutique interior design company um and they've done all of our renovations her team of girls are wonderful nothing's a challenge for them and they just have amazing taste amazing style and they're just so 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 on it so if anyone needs an interior designer go there because you will not be disappointed they're amazing Lovely. Fab. my second shout out is to another amazing woman um called charlie courtley who runs the flower fairies they are an oxfordshire based florist um they were originally mostly aimed around weddings and she sort of branched out into private households. And I found her during lockdown because I was looking for a florist and couldn't find a shop that was open and thought, oh, wedding florists might need some work. And that was that really. And we've worked together for the past two and a half years. And she's really done some amazing, amazing creations uh, for us, done all of our event floristry. And what she comes up with is just mind blowing and so beautiful and so personalized to my boss's taste and the house and you know the colors and it's just, yeah it's amazing so yeah that's uh, the flower fairies and Blythe Collinson interiors there we go love it I love this section I can't believe we didn't do it sooner because not only is it nice to like show a bit of appreciation for people that have really yeah. supported you but like it's good for people listening who it's, it, we're just building our like this collaborative black book that I like the idea of. Um, and at the end of the se- at the end of the season, I'll compile all this and like distribute it to be like these are all the people that have been re- recommended on the podcast and and, and and you know nice for them as well. So there we go. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. As I say, it's nice to sort of talk to a yachty again. It's been a while, um, and to sort of give your insights for those people potentially listening when it comes to transitioning onto yachts or transitioning off yachts, etc. Um, you're also a member of our house manager group. I am indeed. We've not talked about this for a while. Do you love it? Is it a good group? Love it. It's so, it's just so nice because it's such, you feel so separate and I don't know anyone else that has, that does my job really. Um, so yeah, it's really nice to have that kind of support if you need it and just to be able to say, Hey, help anyone know anything about this or that? Because the requests are so diverse and you have to be sort of a master of all trades and that's yeah. kind of impossible. So you might have mastered one thing and somebody else in the group might have mastered another thing. So you can, it's really nice to sort of cross-pollinate ideas. So, and hopefully I can come to the next drinks night because I love a wine. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, brilliant. Just for those listening, if you're not involved and you're a house manager, so we set up a house manager group in the UK and it's just gone nuts. We have an active WhatsApp group and it's so, I laugh out loud some days where it's like, um, I'm looking for a flag maker and I'm thinking, 
That was me. Oh, was it? I, I recommended the flag maker. And immediately, <laughs> literally within minutes, we've got like two or three flag makers. I'm like, listen, you're like, you, you can't make this stuff up, man. And like, there's like low, like low, like daily, you could literally go on your way to work and be like, right, I've got massive issues. Like with, by the time you get to work, you've got phone numbers to call, haven't you? Yeah. It's so good. And everyone's so lovely and it's a growing group and we meet for drinks and everyone's just fun and piss heads, which helps, and all the rest. Uh, so in the UK, we have a house manager one and we have a PA one. And actually, the social that we're doing in March uh, here um, at the ministry, it, we're having both groups. So we're going to have the private PAs and the house managers all hanging out. And then we also have a um, manager group over in the UAE through our Dubai branch. If you're based in the UAE and you're a palace manager, a state, a, a state manager, a villa manager, or private PA, we've got one group for all of you over there. And that's proving to be quite useful as well. So there we are. Thank you very much. And um, thanks for coming on. And hopefully, yeah, you can come to the next drinks. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you to Rosie once again for coming on. Um, hope you all enjoyed the episode. Hope there's a few takeaways for some of you there. As usual, if we can help you with anything, please do come and talk to us. You can come to me directly. I'm on philippa at silverswanrecruitment.com. You can come to me on LinkedIn. You can email me. Any supplier shout outs, any questions, please send them through. And then as always, you know where we are, silverswanrecruitment.com. If you're looking for work or looking for staff, see you in a couple of weeks. Cheers, guys. <laughs>